Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, today I am honored to have a gentleman with me who has been helping folks, um, business owners in particular, physicians that own private practices to really work on their numbers and dreams and have great accounting and financial strategies. He is a CPA, but he's not the nerd in the back of the room that is doing number crunching. He really is trying to do more a consultative type approach, helping people understand their numbers and, and cash flow and what's happening within the business and what happens when you add partners, subtract partners, and, and helping people really strategize and grow their practices the way that they want to towards their goals. I am honored to have here on the podcast with me, Nolan Bradbury. Welcome, Nolan. Thanks for having me, Dave. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Nolan. So uh, I mentioned, of course, that you are a CPA, but you're not the typical tax return prep type person. So just give us a quick uh, five-minute journey on overview on your journey. You know, how did you get to doing what you're doing now and, and why are you doing it and what's behind it? Yeah, wonderful. So I'll, I'll start a little earlier than maybe some people do, but I, I originally was going to be a, a teacher and then a psychologist, but I got to college and realized I had to take more foreign language than I really wanted to. And so I ended up going into the business school and kind of found a calling into accounting, found myself really good at it, went on into the professional world, world worked in public accounting at one of the large four uh, CPA firms and a very large Fortune 5 company, worked there for a few years and then went into the private sector where I worked helping take company, took a company public or, and then ultimately left and went into public county again, worked as a, in a smaller CPA firm with a business partner and then went out on my own recently. And now I focus on primarily helping small businesses really optimize their accounting and finance aspect of their business so that they're able to maximize that information as best as possible to help them ultimately achieve the goals that they need to achieve or want to achieve, both from a business perspective, but also a personal perspective. Because for many people, uh, their business is the pathway to their goals in, in life, both in the current years and, uh, and later on, hopefully in retirement. Love it. No, I think that's that's great stuff. And and I could imagine someone like yourself, you know, working hand in hand with a financial advisor like me or, or other people that are kind of on the board of directors, as well as working with someone that's preparing the taxes and maybe state planning attorneys and the whole team of, uh, of valuable partners in a journey. So, Nolan, as, as I look at kind of what what you're doing can you help us understand versus a typical cpa that is preparing tax returns how does that differ what what are the things that they do and you do maybe they intersect in some places maybe they're completely different yeah so i'm kind of working if you will upstream from say your tax cpa so all the information for the most part that they're going to use to prepare your return or plan for you from a tax perspective is really going to be coming from someone like me or in my position where we're building the financial statements, we're 
managing the sort of day-to-day transactions or month-to-month transactions to really make sure that the information is as solid as possible. It's that old adage, you write garbage in, garbage out. So if the information that you have isn't reliable or accurate or meaningful, then ultimately the decisions that you're going to be making downstream with a tax CPA or a financial advisor or a planner are going to probably be off base because you're going to be using uh, poor information. And so better data equals better decisions in most cases. And so me and my team, we work on making sure that a lot of the sort of uh, more mundane aspects of the accounting pre- uh, aspect of your business are taken care of and that you're not having to worry about them. Uh, and then we work closely with whomever is sort of on your board of directors. And I think that's a great way of describing it. I, I often talk to people about having a group of people that you can go to and that are supporting you, experts in their fields, if you will. And then working with them uh, to make sure that it's a good overlap there and that information is being passed about appropriately and, and timely uh, so that everyone is sort of in the loop and ultimately supporting the client or the business owner in this case to uh, really make sure they have the best information available to do what they need to do. Love it. No, good. Good stuff. So let's talk about doctors a little bit and physician practices. What's what's your experience in dealing with docs? Yeah, so a decent chunk of my uh, my practice is in the medical field, if you will. So dentists, doctors, chiropractors, so all range of that. And so in most cases, they are private practices where they're, they are the own doc or there's multiple doctors within the practice itself. And what, what are you seeing out there right now in physicians specifically? What's 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 happening out there from your perspective? Yeah, so uh, there's a couple things I think that I see common across my clients, at least in that one, I think they a lot of the clients are or a lot of the, the business owners, the doctors are looking at ways that they can ultimately try to get be working more on the business rather than in the business. I think for a lot of them, um, making that transition sort of in the back half of their professional career to uh, still being in the practice, but not being in the necessarily the day to day operations of it. So one of the things we work on with them is helping make sure that, you know, how does that look? What are the things you need to be thinking about? What is that? What do you have to have in place both operationally, but also financially to support that sort of transition? And then ultimately, you know, then getting into maybe the, the, the third phase in that or after that phase, the exit phase in terms of clients start to think about exiting the practice. So uh, I was speaking with a dentist the other day, actually, who was he was three to five years out from really wanting to be done, but was starting the process now, which is great. And that's what I encourage my, my clients to do because the actual runway to get out is a lot longer than I think a lot of people think. Uh, in a lot of cases, acquirers are wanting the, the doctor or the physician to stay on longer to sort of help with the transition, but also just in terms of like finding a buyer, it can take a while. I think sometimes we think it's just, they're just going to knock on our door and be there and be like, Hey, here's a wad of money. Please let me take your practice. And that isn't always the case. Sometimes you have to use a broker. Uh, sometimes you're able to find someone. Sometimes you're able to hand off to another partner, depending upon your situation. But either way, that runway is usually longer than we, we, sort of imagine it to be. And so those are kind of the two big things that I'm seeing with clients right now, just in terms of where they're at, in terms of like it's that gradual transition, right? From being the primary person doing it all to sort of trying to sort of get yourself out of it and plan for the, the next phase. Um, that particular uh, dentist, he was planning it. He's like, look, I want to be hiking and skiing in Colorado and four to five years, like that's my goal. And so I'm trying to do this now to be able to be at that point. Uh, And so that's what we're working on with him is to make sure that everything is in alignment. He's got the right documentation in place to really make sure that when that happens, it's as seamless as possible. Got it. So it sounds like what you're saying is that 
you know, you have a lot of people that start out, they hang out, hang out their single, maybe they're, they, they start a practice with another doctor and they're doing everything right They're They're seeing all the patients, they're doing all the EMRs and dealing with paying the bills and hiring and firing. And, and uh, over time they, they start to grow the practice and grow the team to where now maybe they're partly still being a physician, but they grow to be more a CEO type role. Right. So now they're, they're not doing the thing as much of seeing patients and whatnot. They're, they're really being a business owner. And then eventually, you know, they, they get to be a spot where that's the sole thing that they're doing and the practice becomes more sellable because they're not having to be there to have to see all the patients. Cause if it's just you seeing all the patients, then you, you are, you are the whole business, right? It's a lot, a lot harder to sell a solo practice like that. Not that it's a bad thing. It's a great thing. It's just, just um, a much different stage of, of the business and the ability to be able to sell it to someone else down the road. Yeah. So I, I kind of talked to clients about there being three real phases when you're in a business. So the early phase is like, the focus there is making sure you're not over or under engineering things. So really kind of making sure you're doing what you need to do, but not more than what you need to do, or obviously less than what you need to do. Then you kind of get to more of the, the secure phase, which is like the middle phase, if you will. And in that period, it's about having the right information to make the right decision. So really focusing on optimizing at that at that point. And then you start to get to the back end, which we kind of talked about a little bit more, which is the exit phase and making sure that you're best equipped to exit of the business. And ultimately, for a lot of doctors, it's about transitioning to something that they can, it's more passive in income, right? Anyone who's sort of selling their time, which a professional in essence is, right? It really comes down to the, the golden goose that we're trying to chase is how do we find passive income, whether it's real estate or, or other forms of businesses where we're not having to do all of the heavy lifting ourselves. And so part of it is helping them understand that, that process, both again, operationally, but also accounting and financially speaking. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, what, what are you seeing as in each of these phases? So let's just talk about that initial kind of startup phase. You're young, you're hungry, you're, you're working your tail off, you're growing the practice. What are, what are some common mistakes that you're seeing from your perspective in terms of financials and managing the practice that you see a lot of doctors make? Yeah. So maybe starting with managing the practice, I think one of the challenges is, is that idea of I have to do everything myself. Now, Obviously, there's a point, right, where cash flow sort of dictates you, you may have to do some things that you don't want to do, right? You, you may be the janitor because that just necessitates you taking the trash out at the end of the day. But really in that phase, I try to work with clients in terms of thinking about it as like you need to maximize your time for the highest and greatest use, meaning there are things that only you can do within the practice and you need to identify those and focus on those. The other stuff, you need to figure out how you can outsource to reliable, trustworthy resources, right? And so accounting, legal, those are ones that are good, good, good early examples of making sure that you're putting the right people in place to help you. Not over-engineering in terms of building out this massive workforce of internal employees and all of that too early, but rather finding the right way to sort of balance that early on. That then feeds into making sure that early on you have the good information to make sure you know when you can make the next hire or make that first hire. Uh, for a lot of practices, it's an office manager or someone who can take over sort of running the back end of a lot of the billing details and expense aspects of it. And that's a point, truthfully, this is another thing I talk to clients about is there are certain things, even though you're going to want to outsource them, that you shouldn't. 
things that are strategic in nature, you you do probably need to have more of an active role in there. Like you don't really necessarily want to be outsourcing the contacting of billing for clients to someone outside your company. The customer service aspect is going to struggle and they're not going to be as passionate about it and care as much about it. Even if they're trying their hardest, there's a lack of information that they're going to, they're going to have. And so there's certain things that sort of always need to be retained in within the business. And so finding a good trusted resource in that early phase that will help you move into that middle phase is sort of one of the first keys from the management side. And like I said, from a financial perspective, it's really about having good data so that you're reviewing it on a regular basis, usually with your accountant, hopefully, or your CPA or whomever is your your financial uh, contact in that situation, and making sure that that information is interpreted correctly. A lot of a lot of people who run businesses, their their background is not in finance. And so they don't often have the training to properly review a financial statement, they don't necessarily understand what is a balance sheet, what is it telling me, and that's not a criticism of them. It's just not their area of expertise. And so understanding the difference between the financial statements, uh, how to read that, what is it actually telling you, how to focus on things. And then- So, so, so give us an example example of that where you know, you're, you're looking at a doctor's income statement or balance sheet. You know, what's something that you're going to pick up on that they just look at the report and you know, they're, they're not seeing something there? Yeah. So for me, uh, which is contrary to, I think a lot of people, the, the most important financial statement is actually the balance sheet, in my opinion, because it tells you the income statement or the P&L, but it also tells you all of your other positions, cash, liabilities, what your equity situation is looking like. And at the bottom, it tells you what net income is. Your P&L is more or less the geographical placement of all the information within the P&L. It is largely though that geographical, it's presentational. When I'm looking at it, I'm looking at things. Do you have, you know, if I'm looking with a client for the first time, looking, do you have like accounts that don't make sense? Negative balances. Uh, do you have a lot of liabilities? Uh, you may have a lot of cash, but if that's all because you took out a bunch of loans, then that's somewhat is overinflating perhaps your your strength of your cash position. Uh, looking at the types of loans those are. Are they lines of credit? Are they long-term debt? What's the payoff uh, pieces of those? Then on the P&L side of thing, uh, the important piece on the PL is looking at it not just on a singular month, but trend-wise. What do the last three to four months look like? What does the last rolling 12 months look like? What does year over year in the same period look like? Because on a standalone basis, it could look great, but comparatively, you could be down from last year. You could be looking at seasonality issues for a lot of medical practices. They tend to see uh, higher turnups in the beginning and end of year as people have capacity within their insurance or they're going to lose uh, privileges within their insurance. And so really making sure they understand the, the context with what they're looking at on the, the P&L side of things. And then, you know, reviewing, are there one-time charges that are sort of causing distortions in, in, the, in the results for the month? It's, all of this is sort of indicative of why it's really important that the, when you have financial information, that there's a discussion around it. Uh, it you don't necessarily just want to get a financial report and look at it and call it good. Sometimes that's okay. But realistically, I, I really encourage my clients to have a conversation with me. When I send it, here's a link to schedule if you want to talk about it. Let's go through the results. Let's make sure you actually understand what it is you're seeing and you're not drawing the wrong conclusions from it. And now for a commercial break. Well, if you are anything like me, if as you go along your financial journey, you may be feeling confused sometimes about what to do. You're, you're hearing advice from this person and that person, 
you're, you're not really sure who to trust, what to turn to, and you're, you're feeling stuck, whether you're wanting to create multiple strategies of and streams of income, or you want to look over your stock portfolio, or you're looking for particular reviewing over your specific situation. It would be my honor and my pleasure to spend 30 minutes to help you for free. All you have to do is text the word strategy, S-T-R-A-T-E-G-Y, to 833-343-2986. Again, that's strategy, the whole word, to 833-343-2986. Thank you so much, and I look forward to talking to you soon. And now, back to the show. So how often do you meet with your clients? Like, are you, and are, how are you paid in, in your particular case? Yeah, so meeting with clients, it really depends on how, where we're at in the process of working together. And then sometimes it's their preference. I have clients who I meet once a week with. Uh, we have a standing meeting and those meetings tend to be less accounting finance driven and more just sort of like, business advisory driven, meaning that like I'm fulfilling a role of sort of being a sounding board, if you will, for them, or sort of like someone they can talk to. A lot of business owners are standalone and sometimes they don't have a peer or someone else they can sort of brainstorm with or kick ideas off of with. Uh, I have other clients I talk to every other week and it's really just a checkpoint to kind of make sure that all the open items are getting checked off. It's easier for them to do that than say, get an email list of like, hey, here's what we need from you or here's the open items. Ideally, I'm talking with clients at least once a month and no less frequently than once a quarter. Once a quarter is kind of like, you're, you're really kind of doing the bare minimum from my standpoint in terms of if, if we're not connecting more frequently. You asked about billing. I don't do any hourly billing. Everything is fixed fee. Uh, and in most cases, it's a recurring monthly fixed fee. So when we sit down and I start working with a client, one of the first things I always do with them is we do an accounting assessment, meaning like, let's look at what things look like. We kind of got to know where we're starting at. From that, I identify if there's any sort of things that are causing concerns or that we need to fix early on to make sure that we can be successful later on. And then from that process, we make recommendations and put those in place. And then that allows us to define what the scope of the engagement looks like and where we're going to be doing the heavy lifting or if they're going to be doing it more of themselves. And then we just take that and we you know, divide it into 12 monthly payments and we're off and running. Got it. Got it. Okay, great. Well, we talked a little bit earlier about selling practices and getting to that stage where you've gotten past, you know, kind of this growth, you're now the CEO of the company and you're kind of ready to move on and, and wet your whistle doing some other stuff. So uh, what, what are some common mistakes that you see doctors making as they're getting ready to sell their practices? So the first mistake is oftentimes not bringing in your advising team before you decide to buy. So either not telling your accountant or CPA, not telling your legal counsel, not telling a financial advisor. Uh, I've seen it happen a fair amount where they just reach out to a broker and they're like, hey, I wanna sell my practice. It's like, okay, it's kinda like selling a home. Before you sell the home, you kinda need to make sure that like everything is in order, that it's as pristine as possible, that you get the best first impression. And so that kinda leads to the second piece, which I see a lot of business owners uh, missing out on is, what's important to understand in the, the divesting process, the exit process, and remember, I had a mentor tell me this once, every partnership ends, either legally or in some case or not, it will always end. So you need to plan for that, that happening at some point because it's going to. And so when it's time for that to happen, it's important to have as much sort of done in advance so that when the people come in 
and they're going to come in and they, they're going to do what's called due diligence. They're going to want to review documentation. They're going to want to see what are your policies and procedures? Uh, show me your accounting records. Show me your tax returns. Uh, I may want to talk to some of the uh, key employees and I want to understand, are they going to stay if I buy this? Are they going to leave? And so it's really important to have planned for that due diligence process in advance. Otherwise, you're going to end up winging it. And when you wing it, buyers get scared. They get cold feet. They're concerned about, well, wait, why is this not all in order? What am I getting myself into? Is this not as clean as I was hoping it was going to be. Because nobody wants to come in and buy something and then have to put a ton of work into. Some people do. Some people in like the, the VC realm, that's what they specialize in. But if you're just selling to another doctor or group of doctors, like they don't want more headaches. And so the more that you can make it easy for that transition to happen, the better off you'll be. And then the third thing is, and I sort of alluded to this earlier when I was mentioning in a, another case example is understanding what your runway is. How long are you willing to be involved in this transition process and what do you want your role to look like? Uh, oftentimes doctors can find themselves in a situation where it's being told to them as opposed to being proactive and being like, this is what I'm looking for. I want to be out in two to three years and I'm willing to do this type of work during that transition piece. And then I'll throw in a fourth one, uh, although this is sometimes dictated by the buyer is, what, is the, what are the terms of the buyout that you're going to accept? Does it need to be an upfront cash payment? Are you going to finance it yourself where basically they're going to pay you over time as sort of an installment sale, if that makes sense? Or is there some other sort of like, are you going to like, what is that really, what are you going to accept, right? Similar if you're buying a house, like, are you only going to accept an all cash offer? Are you going to accept someone with a loan? Like, what are you going to be okay with in terms of that? Because it's important to know what you want to, who you want to get into this relationship with during this transition period. Love it. Good, good stuff. Now, what about, you mentioned that you see a lot of doctors that as they sell the business, they're doing some interesting stuff. Tell us about that. What, what are some interesting things you've seen doctors do as they sell a practice? You mean post-selling post or sort of post during the post-selling? Post yeah. So, you know, I, I think for a lot of doctors, as I mentioned, passive income tends to be what they're, they're seeking. And so, while not necessarily exciting, I think a lot of doctors get into the real estate realm, meaning that they will go and get uh, rep status or real estate professional status so that they can sort of take advantage of some of the tax uh, optimizations there. I'm sure you talked about this a fair amount on your on your show and making sure that that is there because that that tends to be sort of like I said, the ideal state where you've had this career of sort of being in it. Now I can sort of sit back and I can do a bit more uh, uh, gen, uh, sort of a uh, uh, aggregating of, of of these locations and properties, doors. Maybe it's a maybe maybe they're residential properties. Maybe they're multifamily uh, units, and sort of building that out so that they have some good consistent income after they sold their practice. That tends to be the most common one. Alternatively, I mean, we have people on the other end of the spectrum who just they, they want to go off the grid. They're, I'm going to go buy some land out someplace. I'm just going to I'm going to go a different route and do something completely different and just sort of live off my life and, and sort of enjoy that piece. I would say by and large, most, most professionals in sort of this area tend to move into the real estate realm, at least in the last 10 years or so, just because of the, the value that we've seen in terms of how cheap debt was until, until recently, at least, and just sort of the ability to take advantage of the tax loopholes. You know, tax laws change based upon you know, who's in office and how things and is the politics and policies of our, our government. And so for at least the last five to seven years, at least, it's been very uh, advantageous from a real estate perspective. And so that's where most people have gone recently, just because of it's it's so it's been so lucrative. Yeah, for sure. Well, like you said, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how things shift, because the problem right now with real estate is that 
interest rates, the cost of capital has gone up so much relatively, right? Double, two and a half times more expensive maybe. And at the same time, prices have softened, but it's not like they're down 20% at this particular stage. I don't care what kind of real estate you're looking at, you know, and, and the va- at least from what I've seen, which maybe I'm missing something, but, you know, usually it seems like you'd have to make up 20 or 30% price decrease to make up for that change in rates. Like you're not going to be cash flow positive in today's environment. You're not. And so one thing I have seen, I've seen a trend now where a lot of from real estate investing is being done in much smaller undeveloped markets where the cost is still relatively low. A lot of my clients, you know, they used to be sort of I'll say suburb driven, meaning like sort of they find a large city, find the area around that, commuters, things like that, multifamily units, things of that nature. Now what I'm seeing is they're investing in more rural locations, uh, not like farmland necessarily, although that's a great opportunity, but more in like, you know, getting units at a much lower cost because there just isn't as much demand there right now. But what we've seen over the last few years, especially with COVID, is this sort of migration into more rural areas. As remote working has allowed or has become more acceptable, people are working from different locations. And that that has allowed there to be some new uh, developments in some smaller places. So places like Tennessee, Iowa, uh, Midwest areas where traditionally you haven't seen a ton of real estate investment being done is now seeing, I think, a lot more just because there's the prices are still low, even though the the interest rates have, you know, 400% higher than what they used to be. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Now, Nolan, what, what have I not asked you that you think regarding doctors and their practices and around your expertise that people should know or be thinking about? Uh, as we look in 2023 here, it's wrapping up already now and then going into 2024. Yeah. So a couple things, what we see now, we're, we're heading into a new new election cycle. And so typically speaking, what will, what tends to happen in that is there's not a lot of policy changes because nobody really wants to rock the boat. And so I think what we see right now from a tax perspective in terms of regulations, that is probably going to hold steady for another year or two. We could see some small adjustments here. Their government always surprises me, but I think that's probably one of the big things. But I would say that the key there would be talking with your tax professional and making sure that you're on top of sort of those opportunities, particularly the R&D credit. I, I know you had a, a, someone on recently talking about that. It's a really good opportunity for, for doctors in that, that I don't think a lot of them realize they're qualifying for. The ERC is still out there. That's another one that is uh, available for doctors in a lot of ways, and people are still not capitalizing on it. Other than that, you know, the, the things I would say, um, one, and I think this tends to go overlooked, is it may seem counterintuitive, but now is actually a really good time to get a line of credit, especially if you don't need it. So because rates are really high, banks are really wanting to lend money and make it available. <laughs> uh, and so, but the thing about a line of credit is, right, you don't have to draw on it. Uh, you can have it and you can have it sit there. And so the funny thing about debt is it's really hard to get when you need it. And it's really easy to get when you don't need it. And so if you don't need it right now, now is a great time to go out and get it. And as the rates come down over the coming years, you can slide your rate down as you re sort of up on that line of credit. And so now is a good opportunity to sort of take advantage of that where lenders are really willing to give access to cash because nobody's really out there trying to take advantage of it. sort of like zigging when people are zagging, if that makes sense. That's, that's one thing that um, I think would be uh, good for people to think about. The other thing too is, uh, and this doesn't necessarily relate to this point in time, but I'll, I'll speak more holistically about this because it's something I talk about with my clients is, is actually really having a sit down with yourself and talking about what your true goals are. 
for both the business and you personally. The one of the big challenges is that people come to me and they're like, and I'll just use an example. They'll say, I want to make a million dollars. I'm like, that's great. And then the next question I ask them is why? And they don't always know in a lot of cases. And the reason is we don't often give ourselves a permission to really think about what we want and why we want it. And so maybe the answer is I want a million dollars because I want to be able to take my kids to soccer practice every day. And that's going to allow me the financial freedom to do that. But it's only, you're only really going to be able to maximize and optimize your business and your personal life in order to get what you want if you are actually honest about what you want. It's kind of like a Google Google Maps, right? Like if I open it up and I say, I want to go to the store, it's going to ask me a couple questions. Which store am I trying to go to and where am I starting from? And you have to give it those definitions. Otherwise, there's an infinite number of paths to get there and most of them are not going to be the way you want to go. So I, I think it's really important any, especially for professionals, to think about what they're actually trying to accomplish. Because otherwise, you can end up in this space where you're just sort of doing things because that's what you're doing. And you aren't actually making the incremental progress you want. You, maybe you're growing top line revenue, but so are expenses. And so you're kind of incurring more work without the, the benefit of it. And so I really encourage clients, I really encourage anyone really, especially small business owners, to sit down and have honest conversation with you, your family, what it is you're trying to accomplish. Maybe it's that you want to take a really nice trip every year. Great. Well, how do we figure out as a business owner for you to do that? How do we make sure that you have the capacity now to do that? Or like I said earlier, maybe your plan is I want to exit in five years. Great. Then we need to start planning about that right now. Uh, as you know, as an advisor, right, the, the biggest thing is making sure you have open conversations with with the, with the decision makers. And if you're not having those conversations, you're kind of denying yourself the opportunity to find real joy and happiness. That's good. Good stuff. No, I think that that's all good advice, Nolan, and, and something for us to think on and, and chew on a little bit. Uh, any, any final pieces of advice you'd like to leave us with? No, I think we covered everything. I feel like I've rambled enough for everyone. I don't need to, to put more out there on them. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully people have found this beneficial. And, uh, you know, just I think the thing to remember is that accounting is accounting, but it often it shouldn't drive everything like what you want in life needs to have a factor in all of this. And so make sure that those two are working hand in hand with each other. Uh, don't neglect the one for the other. OK, love it. Very good. And if people want to find you and learn more about your practice and how they can work with you, what's the best way for them to find you? Yeah, so our, our website is bradfieldaccounting.com. Brad, word field, accounting.com. Pretty easy. You can email us at contact us at bradfieldco.com. Or you can email me, nolan at bradfieldco.com. Either of those work. And uh, happy to connect with people and help them and you know see if there's anything we can do to help them get on the right path or achieve their goals. Sweet. Love it, man. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. All right, my friends, that wraps up another episode today of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant, and you're looking for a second opinion, I'm making myself available for 30 minute 
strategy sessions. And if you want to arrange a time to meet with me to discuss your situation and see if we might be a good fit for one another, I'd like you to call our office and speak with Kyla. Our phone number is 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. And I look forward to helping you with your financial situation. And now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we are not appropriately registered or excluded. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mention insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of an issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issue. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.daviddeniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye-bye.